Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 385. What they don't teach you in school, which is, as my mom would say, follow your bliss. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Winston Goodfellow. Winston, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Let's rock. All right. Winston Goodfellow is an award-winning automotive writer and photographer. Over the past 20 years, his words and photographs have been seen in more than 60 publications on several continents, and he's authored 14 books and private commission monographs. His last book, the critically acclaimed Ferrari Hypercars, was voted 2014's Book of the Year at the 24th Annual International Automotive Media Competition. Winston has been a chief class judge or class judge at many of the world's top concours, including Pebble Beach and Via de Este in Italy. He's also advised numerous automotive collectors on the purchase or selling of their cars and provided guidance on their collections. Winston, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Um, I guess you could say that I'm the proverbial car geek. (laughs) And it was funny because Sandra Button, who runs the Concours, Pebble Concours, many years ago, she wanted to give me some fancy-schmancy titles. So I just said post-war car geek. (laughs) And, yeah, it probably started with my parents and then just grew from there. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into some of it uh, later. I was in the uh, financial services industry for 10 years after graduating college and then decided to do something smart, which was chase my passion. Yes, yes. (laughs) And it just kind of went from there. Well, you know, I love your story in so many ways because it fits the mantra here, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. And Sandra's been a guest here on Cars, yeah. And I I mentioned uh, for our listeners to Winston in our pre-show chat, I felt like I've known Winston for 20 plus years. I've been going to Concord events for 25 plus years and I've seen him at all these events. I'm like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? So I always felt like I've known you forever and it's so great to finally be able to talk to you here on Cars Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's some kind of a saying that's instrumental in forming your life and success and it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah. So, Winston, take the wheel. I'll probably give you two or three. Good. The first one is 
if you love what you do, very rarely is it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is it's literally true. Because when I went from financial services to doing what I'm doing now, it and I used to do this for fun. <laughs> it took me a year to get used to being paid to do it. And so, you know, so that would be that would be number one. Then along the same lines, which is just a great, a great way to live, is to be true to yourself. And so if you have this passion and you think you have some talent around it, you know, maybe you can't be a writer or photographer, but maybe you're mechanically inclined. And uh, so then you don't do what I do, but you, you go to a restoration shop or whatever. And, uh, and so I'm a firm believer in, you know, find your passion, chase it, then be true to yourself about that. And then if I had to throw out a third line, and I don't know if it would be, in quotes, inspirational, it would be something along the lines of, we all use the same equipment and or test the same cars. It's how you see the subject matter that makes the difference. Mm. When I was heavily involved in the new car circuit, testing stuff, you know, we're all testing the same car. So now what's the thing that no one's seeing? And so I would normally come at it from a historic perspective. And how true is this car that I'm testing to those that came before it. So in other words, has the manufacturer infused the DNA in its current product that was there for decades prior? Right. Now, those are all great quotes. And my previous career before starting cars, yeah, I was in the car world for 25 years. And I remember some days, one of the many things I did was do direct photo shoots. And I'd be sitting there in people's collections of cars and surrounded by all these wonderful cars and talking to these owners and I just kind of go, gosh, I'm getting paid to do this. This is so cool. This is so cool. So listeners out there, you can do it. It can happen for you. Winston figured out a way to do it, to move from one profession into the one he was passionate about, and that's your challenge for today. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to hear about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. You know, I don't know if there was, in quotes, a pivotal moment. But it was like, okay, here comes the wave, and the wave keeps getting bigger. And then it's just like, oh, I'm surfing on top of a wave, (laughs) you know, where the light bulb goes off. Because my parents had stuff when I was a kid, nothing extreme. Uh, 1919 Jordan, 1925 Willis Knight, 1928 Model A. And then uh, they ended up getting a 220S Cabriolet Mercedes. And so that was probably the start. Mm -hmm. And then there was one time, I'm going to say... 74, 75, like when I was a sophomore or junior in, in high school. And we were, <laughs> we were, and maybe, maybe this is like the time right after I'd gotten my first car when we were thinking about a car. I don't remember. And uh, we're driving along, and bang, there's an Aston Martin DB6 on the side of the road with wow. a sales sign on it. Oh, gosh. And so it's just like, hey, what's that? And so we pulled on over. So I wrote down the number. I ended up calling the guy. And he lived over on, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. He grew up over on the east, or he was up on the east side of the bay. Mm-hmm. So I drove on over there, and we went out in his DB6, and it was a Vantage engine. I mean, there you go. The car geek can remember stuff like that. Yeah. I remember we were barreling down a road 120 miles an hour, because I'm looking outside, and I'm feeling, and I'm kind of going, I've got to be doing about 70. And I looked over at the speed on, we were doing 120. Oh, my gosh. And so it's like, okay, this is pretty cool. So that probably fired up everything and got me really reading magazines and looking at stuff. And then I went to Menlo High School, and next to it was Menlo College. Uh And uh, the reason I bring this up, Mark, is because at Menlo College, that's where, like, all the Saudi and Middle Eastern princes went. Mm, And so 
I saw stuff. I mean, I th- LP 400 Countach, 365 Boxer. I remember there was a guy uh, that had a 365 GT4 2 Plus 2 Ferrari, which is, you know, the, the precursor to the 400i. Sure. And he took it to a small coach builder called Fly Studio and had it made into a station wagon. <laughs> and that was there. And, and so I always wanted to do, okay, here, you know, maybe take pictures or do a list. Here are the top 30 cars I've seen this college. Send it to Road and Track in a letter and say, okay, can any college even get close to doing this? Yeah. And I never did it. But anyhow, so that's probably how it all started. Very cool. So, Winston, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? It was interesting because I had to think about that. Um, There was a book that I worked on that, in all honesty, was a constant battle because I'm a firm believer that you cannot compromise on quality. And so it was, this sounds snooty and it's not meant to, or egotistical and it's not meant to, but it's like I God, it was constantly pulling on the rope to get them up to my level. And, uh, you know, it's weird because when I look around sometimes, I think, God, if I had to say one thing where this country's changed in the last 15 years, it's mediocrity is now acceptable. It's really a shame, isn't it? And it's just, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, every day it was a battle. You know, just the constant pulling and sometimes banging your head against the desk in frustration. But I never said I give up. And and so then at the end of the thing, uh, at the end of the story, the book ended up winning uh, you know a good award, and uh, and for me, the key was and the key is you focus on the goal and not the people. So don't give up. Know, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't and, back down. <laughs> you know, and focus on your goal line. Yeah, it's just because too often you get it where people attack people because they don't like what they're doing. No, you can't do that. You have to stay focused on the goal line, which is getting the book done to the highest level possible. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a a career aha moment. I'd like to say it's when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. (laughs) If if I had to look at quotes, an aha moment, Uh It would have been when I decided to make the jump out of financial services, which I've been doing for a decade, I think I said, yeah. into into this. That's a bold move. And it was um, uh, it was that whole thing, because Mom always told us when we were kids, follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I liked what I did, but it really didn't light my fire. Yeah. And so it's like... You know, unfortunately, I had enough money tucked away at the bank at that time that it's like, okay, if I want to do this, I do have a bit of a financial cushion. So it was making the commitment to do it full time. And fortunately, I knew some people in the industry just because I had messed around with ESOs for so long. And so I was kind of known as, in quotes, the ESO guy. And so I contacted a handful of magazines to see if I could work for them. And all of them said yes. Oh. Like, okay, okay, great. Cool. Well, then this was right before the recession hit in 1990, and then bang, all of them went out of business. Yeah. Uh. Oops. And so it's like, okay, now what do you do? And so I thought, all right, time to really bite the bullet. And so what I then did was I'd always dreamed of doing an ESO book, a book on ESO. And so that's what I did. 
And then after that, it was taking what I had learned in my financial services career, which was basically if you don't get a paycheck, you don't eat, because you know, <laughs> I was on commission only. And so I called up friends I knew in the business, asking them if they had a list of magazines that I could send a hit letter to. And the hit letter was basically, in 20 to 30 seconds, I wanted an editor to be able to read Here's where I'm God's gift to what you're, you know, to what it is that you do, <laughs> sounding a little obnoxious. <laughs> I'm the solution to your problems. <laughs> That's exactly right. And here's what I can provide to you immediately. And uh, nobody had a list. So I then went to the magazine stand and just started looking through magazines to say, okay, could I picture something that I would do in that? Right. And I made my own list. And then I did a four-page, four-color brochure in five languages. Wow. And then I sent that out. Cool. And that was five grand, that expense. Uh -huh. The first commission I got off of that, this is when cigars were big, was from a cigar magazine. And the article paid, paid me for the words and photos, five grand. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you got all your money back. Yeah. 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 And so that was, you know, it was basically making the commitment that I was going to do this. Yeah. Great story. I love it. Great lessons there for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, sidepreneurs out there that want to go do something in their passion, be innovative, be bold, be different. And nowadays, of course, with the internet and all the access to all the information we have, uh, so much easier to find people and source people out and so forth. So, But you got to have the initiative to do it. It doesn't just mag magically happen. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many. You've won many awards for the books that you've done. Is there one in particular, though, that you'd like to share with us? If I had to say, you know, a moment... Or just like, yes. <laughs> it was, and it didn't have anything to do with an award. It was, I was over in Italy, and the first book I did was a book called Issa Revolt of the Men to Machines. And, you know, this is when, come on, I was new in the business. You don't know anything about word counts. You're just writing. And so I had talked to a handful of publishing houses. Giorgio Nada over in Italy had agreed to do it. And so I'd been over there before, and they had done the initial pagination of the book. And, oh my God, I was over there for several weeks working on this book because it had to be right. You know, where you're going through, I had to write the captions and do all this other stuff. And they were great to work with, just a great crew of people. And I'll never forget, there was, it was one night, one bang, it was done. I was down in the car. Georgia was going to drive me back to the hotel and I think he went up to, like, lock the office or something. And I just remember going, yes, because <laughs> finally, you know, this 520 pages of book was done. Yeah. And I could go home. And then, uh, and then I remember when the cases came in. And then, you know, boom, you hold the thing in your hand for the first time. You know, it's like a small telephone book yeah. but with a hardcover. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty rewarding. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, it's fantastic when you work so hard on something with so many great people and finally all your hard work comes to fruition and you got that thing in your hands going, this is it, this is it. And then there's the next one. So that's <laughs> cool. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory you have with that car with us. It was... I mean, speaking of ESOs, it was a 1964 ESO Revolta, chassis number 360250. I mean, which sounds so freaking geeky, but when <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning, boom, I remember the chassis number. Yeah, well, you are the car geek, you know, so. 
<laughs> that's right. We did say that earlier. Uh, and it was, I mean, it, it just kind of opened my eyes to everything. And this is where, Mark, guys our age, I'm 57. Um, so am we're, I. <laughs> we're so lucky is because it was so different back then. I mean, you had all this stuff out there that was interesting and and you had to explore to find things and all that. I, f- I saw the car in the one ads of the San Francisco Chronicle where if I'm remembering correctly, the guy worded the ad or whether I'm making this up, I don't know, but it was just like Ferrari looks and performance with American reliability because the car had a Chevy engine. Yeah, that's in it. right. Yeah, those do. And I thought, yeah, that sounds interesting. So I went and looked at it, ended up buying it. And memory serves me correctly, I paid about the same amount for that car that my brother spent on his Ford Pinto. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, so there was a learning curve, and there were some things wrong with it, but it had a 340-horse engine in it. It was good for, you know, 140 miles an hour. The parents were into cars. I mean, maybe it was four grand or 3500 or, or whatever it was. And um, I had a lot of fun with that car, and it just it opened the door really to almost everything that's followed. Oh, if only we could buy those wonderful machines for an affordable, quote-unquote, price today. That leads me to my next question, which is seller's remorse. Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Not so much for the money, but just for the car. No. No? You're happy with everything you let go. Good for you. You know why? Because that's looking back. And I don't do that. And also, I'm lucky I can scratch the itch because, of you know, I get to go out and play with stuff. Yes, you do. You do. So, but if I had to pick one, and I don't regret it, but it's just like if I, if you went to, okay, if you could have one back, mm-hmm. you know, which is different, it would be the ex-Silvera Lamborghini Countach, which was this LP400 that was actually in Car and Driver magazine back in the day was a factory-documented hot rod. And so, you know, there was a little brass data plaque in there, this car specially built for Albert Silvera. And um, it was great. When I uh, it was at a guy's place named Albert Tony, who was the Lamborghini guy on the face of the planet, back in the 80s, and this would have been the 90s, but they, Lamborghini would call him for solutions to things back in the 80s. So anyhow, so Al had this car, and so... We did a bet because we, we both knew the car was really healthy. And it was just like, okay, where do you see the compression in the cylinders on this? And so I think he did 175 or 185. And I said, okay, let's do this. For every cylinder, it's under that. I owe you a dollar. For every cylinder, it's over that. You owe me a dollar. <laughs> He owed me twelve dollars. Oh gosh! <laughs> and it was like the compression was like two ten to two twenty five. Wow! You know, so it was it was healthier yeah. than normal. And then I ended up corresponding with Delara about the car, who was Lamborghini's chief engineer for a brief stint in that period uh, after his original stint in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he you know he confirmed everything. And that wow. car's now over in Europe in a really good collection. Nice! So. Wow! Very cool! Very special car for sure. Now, how about current projects? What are you working on today that really has you excited and fired up? Um, I just finished up probably the weirdest thing I've done, which was Andrea Zagato, third-generation coach builder, is a good friend. And so years ago, he approached me 
with just this kind of nebulous concept that was based on a shoot he had seen me do on the Lamborghini Raptor in the mid-90s when Zagato was the feature at Pebble. And so what struck him was he saw his creation in an American landscape. Actually, the car was housed at Albertoni's before and after the show. And so there was this kind of rolling estate near Al's place, and we took it down there and shot it. And then Andrea called me up sometime later, and I didn't know this until just recently, that that really hit him, because he was seeing his creation in an environment that he was not used to seeing it in, meaning a a typical American landscape, not something in Italy, not something in Europe, or not on a Concord field, but there. And so it kind of worked on his mind for a while, and then he called me eight years later and said, I want to do a book my working, he called it 33 scenarios. And the idea was he wanted me to go out and shoot 33 different Zagato cars in 33 different American landscapes. Oh, cool. And so what I had to do was basically do landscape photography that happens to have a Zagato car. (laughs) Now that is very different. And so then, so that's going to be out in January. We just literally finished that. I'm going to probably see the final PDF on it in the next week or so. And so now I've started up on the next book project, which is, I've had a number of friends say, you know, you should do a book like on your hundred favorite images or something like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm not wired that way. I mean, that's (laughs) just like too, too much look at me. And so there has to be like a purpose to it other than look at me and what the pictures I've taken. Oh, several months ago, a year ago, I was actually in California having lunch with a bud. And somehow we started talking about, I can't remember if it was that book or something, but he said, you know, you need to do something because you've been a witness to history. And I'm like, dude, we're all freaking witnesses to history. Just, you know, when we see stuff every day, we're witnesses to history. And he said, no. I'm talking about the people you have known. Mm, you know, you've yeah. been a fly on the wall in so many things that most people don't get to do. Right. And so that started the wheels turning. And then I was talking with another bud uh, who works at Ford and kind of mentioned this in passing. And he said, oh, he's 100% right. You are a witness to history because the way you have befriended so many of the great names in the industry is very unusual. Yeah, well, there's yeah. the title for your next book, A Witness to History. <laughs> No, actually, actually, I've, I I can't do that. <laughs> you know, maybe I should. Maybe I should. We'll see. My working title for it is I've never quoted a tweet. <laughs> An analog memoir in a digital world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so what it's going to be, it's going to be taking a look at the industry prior to 2007. And the reason I'm picking that is um, I was in a real serious car accident in April of 2007. Mm. And so... When I came back to work full-time several years later, the way the industry had changed in that interim was like night and day. Okay. And, and so what I want to do is, yes, this book will have a bunch of killer images in it, but there's going to be a narrative to it that's hopefully going to be pretty meaty. That is, this is how it used to be, and this is how it's different from now, because we never recorded that. We just took it for granted that it was always going to be like that. And it's just, it's so different. It's night and day. Fantastic. I love it. And I can't wait to see the Zagato book. I love the design and style of Zagato going all the way back, all the double bubbles and 
all the wonderful cars they've done. Uh, there's some cars on my bucket list that are Zagato cars that are just fantastic. <laughs> so I can't wait to just get my hands on a copy of that book. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Winston. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? If I, if I were a car. So you remember back in the day when we were kids, there were cars that were called sleepers? Sure. And that, that was something, that was basically a muscle car, but without the graphics package. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was something that was very fast, but didn't look like it. Sure. And would blow your doors off. And you would just go, what, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I'm not a selfie guy. I never take selfies. I don't take pictures of me standing next to famous people. You know, it's just, I don't take pictures of me at events. It's not how I'm wired. Every once in a while, I'll hand a camera to someone else if I'm testing something, because magazines do like to see their authors, you know, driving something. Right. And so I don't want to be, look at me. Yeah. And so, but you want something that packs a good wallop. And okay. So, so what is that? I, so I do a sleeper. Yeah. And so what would be the ideal sleeper? There is one. It might be a, a 69 Yanko Camaro because that has the right amount of graphics but not over the top. Mm-hmm. Or you could do a, a Nikki 427 Camaro. Yeah. Um, maybe something out of Mr. Norm's garage. And then if it wasn't that, <laughs> it would be a Nart Spider. Alloy bodied, of course. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> because... That's that has an elegant understatement to it. Yeah, but but it's got all that power. Yeah, and it's just light on its feet. And oh my God, if you drive one, you get it. Very cool. That's why I like that question so much. So Winston, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Metrovac has been manufacturing and providing quality automotive vacuums and blowers since 1939. I've used their portable vacuum and blowers for over 15 years in my garage, on my cars, motorcycles, around my home, and you should too. Their Air Force Master Blaster Revolution is my go-to tool every time I wash and detail my vehicles. Powered by two twin-fan 4.0 peak horsepower motors, the Master Blaster delivers up to 58,000 feet per minute of clean, warm, dry, filtered air. Dry your car without a towel and avoid those nagging micro-scratches. Perfect for the wheels, engines, motorcycles, and all those frustrating water traps in trim, door jams, and seals. Check out all of Metrovac's quality products, deliberately made better in the USA. Metrovac is the right choice. Learn more today at Metrovac.com. Use discount code CARSYA20 and you'll get 20% off your first order. That's right, 20% off. Details at CARSYA.com sponsors. Okay, Winston, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? It would be relating to a career in the business. Because when I was considering it, there were two guys I talked to because I knew them. One was Ken Gross. The other was Robert Cumberford. And I can't remember if one said one of these and the other said the other where they both said it, but it was... Meet all deadlines and word counts. So in other words, when an editor tells you it's 2,000 words, do it at 2,000 words. You basically have a 10% plus or minus on top of that, but don't hand them 4,000 right. or 500. You know, it's just, yeah. So meet the deadlines, hit the word counts, 
and spell check your stories. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's just because you want the editor's job to be as easy as possible, and it's amazing how many people don't do that. Yeah, just do your work, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's the key there. And do it well and do it right. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? It would be that, what I just said, but <laughs> yeah, don't take things personally. Mm. Everyone has their own paradigm. The other person's paradigm is a little different than yours. And so don't take it personally and then be true to who you are. Ah, Perfect. Yeah, great. How about a resource? I know there are so many out there, but is there one resource in particular that you've enjoyed that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy as well? If I was going to do a resource, I'm going to go analog. There's probably two. Mm -hmm. Car Magazine out of the UK, which I still think is the best magazine in the English language. Mm. The second would be Road and Track. And and Road and Track, what it's done in the last two years has been amazing. The graphics are fantastic. But what they do is, it's kind of like where I was talking about how I would normally approach things from a historic perspective to make a road test different. Mm -hmm. When you cut through it, we're in the entertainment business. Mm. And so I would always look at what I do as Okay, in the grand scheme of things, what I do really isn't that important. I'm not negotiating nuclear arms. I'm not negotiating jobs for 100,000 people. But if you were, you know, if, if you just got beat up at work and you come home and you're a little tweaked or bent out of shape because your boss has been on your back or, or whatever, and you come home and you open up the computer screen or you open up a magazine or a book or whatever, and if my words and photos can take you somewhere for however many minutes where you totally forget what happened at work and you learn something in the process. I've done my job. That's all I do. And so looping this back to road and track, they are the best for entertainment. They really are great. I had Larry Webster, the editor-in-chief at Road and Track on this show not too long ago. And uh, the the magazine has really come a long way. I've been reading it since I was a kid, but uh, of late, it's just really fantastic. It's moved to a whole new level. Yeah. Now, this next question is going to be kind of tough for you, and I know you've published and been a part of many, many books, but aside from the books that you've done, is there one book in particular you think the listeners should pick up and read? You're going to laugh, because if, if you ask to answer that question directly, yes, it would be the book I just finished. <laughs> well, of which, course. <laughs> which, which is a book called Dark City, and it's on film noir. It has nothing to do with cars. Whoa, okay. And the reason is, oh my God, can that guy write? And it's just like I've always kind of had an interest in film noir because it's like I, I, I think I might want to someday try and do a shoot in a film noir way, but the dude can write. And I learned an incredible amount while I did it because he, it's like parts of the book are almost written like film noir. And then I laughed a lot of the way through it. And when I got to the last sentence and turned the page, I wanted it to keep going. For automotive stuff, what I started yesterday was a book called Concor, a retrospective done by Richard Adato. Oh, Richard, he's been a guest on the show as well. Just a good dude, known him forever. And it was great because he really backtracks the history, going back to like Roman times, and talked about the parading of chariots and everything. And that was kind of like the first in quotes Concor, and then brings it up to today. And I like it when I can learn something. And there I, there I definitely learned a fair amount. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, great references, listeners. 
You can find links to these great resources at carsyad.com slash Winston Goodfellow. There's also a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where we'll have these books and all the books from the past guests here at Cars yeah listed for quick, easy access. All right, Winston, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, because today I'm going to write the check. What would that one vehicle be and why? Mine hasn't changed in years. A pontoon vent, there are 250 Testarossa. Oh, okay. And the reason is, A, it doesn't look like anything else. I think it's just pure creative art. Scaglietti is best. But B, and most importantly, is the way it drives and what it says to you and what it's infusing you with while you're driving it. For a decade, a 250 GTL was my top dog. Mm -hmm. Then I drove a 250 TR, and bang, GTO's now second. <laughs> you know, a GTO, a GTO is that classic Berlin out of shape. Long hood, long fastback, curvy fenders, that type of stuff. And But we're so used to seeing that, you know, from a 240Z up to, you know, a Viper to God knows how many things. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's never been anything that looks like a pontoon fender TR. Yeah, yeah, wow. So, Wonderful. It, yeah, it's got the visual stimulation, and then when you're on it, there's nothing like it. Well, you must have been in heaven two years ago on the lawn at Pebble when they had all those pontoon fender testerosas lined up. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and what was cool about that was is they also had some envelope bodies and that type of stuff, whereas the GTO basically remained the same. Series 1s, uh, you know, and Series 2 was slightly different, is there was a much greater variation in TR bodies. And so it was it was cool to see that, but it's just like, oh, my God, that thing was the best. Yeah, I've got a CMC model here on my desk of that car. I look at it every day, and it's just... Is, is that the one black, red nose? Well, mine is all red. Okay. I, I know the one you're talking about. That's another variation of an yeah. actual car, of course, um, which you know that car, but uh, oh, yes, magnificent. Well, great choice. Great choice. I love it. Winston, you have taken me on a great ride today. I, I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your 250 TR Testarossa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be chassis 0714. <laughs> Just because that black, red interior, red stripe around the nose, fantastic. Anyhow, oh, yes. This is why that car is so brilliant. It's 300 horsepower and 1,800 pounds. Mm, yes. You know, so you have the right power to weight and it's lightweight. And all this electronic stuff and big horsepower numbers and all this type of thing, no, you don't want that. Read what Road and Track said about the Miata in the current issue, then you'll get it. What they don't teach you in school, which is, as my mom would say, follow your bliss. And basically, what that means is chase your passion. I mean, they really should do like in high school or college. Not what they think you should do, but what are you passionate about? And the reason I bring this up is... When I did the jump from financial services to uh, what I'm doing now, you know, that's now 25 years ago, my accountant said to me, I will never worry about you not making it in this because you are so passionate about what you are doing that when you hit an obstacle, it won't even be that. It'll just be something you need to overcome and you'll do it. It won't cause you to quit. And so, I mean, that is really it. Follow your bliss, chase your passion. Listen to Winston's mom. Follow your bliss. Great words of advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? 
Um, I am on Facebook. Uh, my blog for Meteor Stuff is thegoodfellowperspective.com, and my website is creatively named winstongoodfellow.com. <laughs> there you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Winston's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Winston in the search box, and his name will pop right up. Winston, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and your life's journey with me today and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. This was a joy. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!